chapter number 37. May or may not be familiar with this passage of Scripture. Um, If you're not, you will be by the time that we're finished this morning. The heading in my Bible, perhaps in yours, is the vision of the valley of dry bones. I I told Lauren this was going to be our passage, and she said she had a special she wanted to sing in connection with this lesson. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones. I, I thought that would be a great idea. She backed out at the last minute, so we'll just read the passage together. What I'd like to do is I'm going to quickly give you the doctrinal teaching and its dispensational framework, what this passage is about. But after that, we're going to focus on an application from the passage and see what the Lord has for us here in Ezekiel chapter 37. Follow along as I read, beginning in verse number 1, Ezekiel 37 and 1. The Bible says, The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. Try to envision this as we read this morning. Try to put yourself in Ezekiel's shoes. Try to imagine the scene depicted here in scripture. Verse 3, and he, God, said unto me, Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Very diplomatic answer that Ezekiel gives here. Really good answer when the Lord asks a question, Lord, you know. (laughs) And that's what Ezekiel says. Verse 4, again, he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O you dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and ye shall live and I will lay sinews, sinews. What are we going to say today? Is it going to be sinews or sinews? And I will lay sinews upon you tomorrow. It can be sinews. And I will lay sinews upon you and will bring up it's the joints in the marrow. The marrow, right? Okay. And I will lay sinews upon you and will bring up flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and ye shall live and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a noise and behold a shaking The bones came together, bone to his bone, and when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy unto man, and say to the wind, let's say the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. So the valley of dry bones, uh, muscle begins to form on these bones. These bones begin to attach the one to the other. Skin covers them. And before you know it, the valley of dry bones is a great army. This is the vision that God showed Ezekiel. He said, Ezekiel, here's what I want you to do, and here's what's going to happen. And Ezekiel did what God said, and what God said would happen is exactly what happened. But why is this in the Bible, and why was Ezekiel given this vision, and what lesson might there be in it for us this morning? Let's pray and seek the answers to those questions. Father, thank you today that we can be together in the church house 
Lord, this is a blessing to have the freedom and liberty uh, to meet one with another and open the Bible and to sing your praise and to serve you and minister uh, and fellowship one with another. And God, I pray that you'd help us today. We need your help. Uh, God, guide us into the truth. Lead us into the truth. Lord, convict us, challenge us, encourage us. Uh, Lord, meet the need of each heart from your word in the Sunday school hour and the preaching service to follow. And Lord, we'll give you all the honor and the glory for it. You're certainly worthy. Help us to love you more. Help us to serve you better. In Jesus' name, amen. If we continue in the passage, the meaning is clearly given. Verse number 11, then he said unto me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Okay, so very clearly defined what, at least who, this vision is about. Uh, is about. Who are the dry bones? The dry bones are Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, Thus say the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves... And cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it, performed it, saith the Lord. This is obviously pointing to a future resurrection. This is obviously pointing to a future restoration of the nation of Israel, God will once again breathe life into them. Their hope is not lost. Their hope is not gone. They are not perished from the earth. God will revive them. God will raise them. God will reestablish them. God will place them back in their land one day. This is prophetic. This is looking to the future, but Ezekiel 37 is one of the many places in the Old Testament where we're given to understand that God is not finished with the nation of Israel. He has and he will punish them for their disobedience, but he will remember the covenant he made with their fathers and he will keep every promise that he has ever given them. Just for a cross-reference, come with me to Romans chapter 11, given there in your outline, Romans chapter Number 11, let's briefly uh, review the meaning here of the vision and then get to the application this morning. Romans 11, verses 25 and 26. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. <clears throat> the Bible says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. Here's the mystery, that blindness in part is happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Verse 26. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So if, if, if we were to go back, and we won't do it this morning, if we were to go back and study Daniel chapter 9, here's what we learn. That God's dealings in and through the nation of Israel as, as a national entity, that people group, God throughout the Old Testament, had a special covenant relationship with them, was dealing with that group, not on an individual level, but on a national level. But all of that was paused. All of that was put on hold. All of that stopped at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. God then began to build his church, Jews and Gentiles, with a new birth placed into the 
body of Christ, what that does not mean, and what Romans 11 is addressing, that does not mean that God is finished with Israel. It does not mean that God is done with that nation. That does not mean that his purposes with them have been accomplished, or we have replaced them, or he has permanently set them aside. No, God made promises to Abraham. God later made promises to David. He is going to keep those promises. Verse number one of Romans 11 starts with a question, hath God cast away his people? And the answer that's expanded upon throughout the rest of the chapter is God forbid. So at the close of what we call the tribulation, the the, the time of Jacob's trouble, Daniel's 70th week, that seven years when the Antichrist is in power upon the earth and praise God the church is gone, at the end of that, in connection with the second advent of Jesus Christ, when he returns to the earth to destroy the Antichrist, to establish his kingdom and sit on the throne in Jerusalem, Romans 11 says the whole nation, now there's only a remnant left, but the nation will be reborn. The nation will be revived. The nation will be restored. What appears to be nothing more than a valley full of dry bones through the miraculous working of God one day will stand as a great army with life and strength and health and effectiveness. That's the meaning of the vision. That's the teaching of the passage. But with that understanding, there's some great preaching here for us as New Testament saved, born-again Christians. There's some application that I think would be helpful for us to uh, study together. So come back to Ezekiel chapter 37. As you're turning, full disclosure, uh, the basis for this message is a booklet that I read through once again as I was preparing lessons for uh, the uh, the pastor's training in Uganda. And, and I, I did a couple days teaching on youth ministry and I read a, a book that I'd read many times before, but it was called Is Your Youth Group Dead or Alive by Jerry Ross, same author of Teenage Years of Jesus Christ, several of the books I've recommended to you. So uh, some of the principles we'll cover this morning come from that book. I took some notes, thought that'd make a great Sunday school lesson here in the interim as we're looking to head into another teaching series. So Ezekiel chapter 37, remember the scene, a valley full of dry bones. And at some point or another this morning, I believe that that scene could stand as a depiction of your life or mine. Remember where God had Ezekiel go, where the Spirit of the Lord brought him, was into a valley. You ever been in one of those? Spiritually speaking, emotionally speaking, not not physically speaking, I mean, sometimes valley is a beautiful place, meadow and mountains, all that kind of, but I'm, I'm talking about a, a low point in your life. Ezekiel is brought to this valley and, and all that he can see is a bunch of dry bones. And to understate the situation, there's not a lot of potential uh, to, to state the way that the Bible puts it in verse number uh, 11, hope is lost. As Ezekiel is brought to the valley that is full of dry bones, there's nothing he can do to change or alter or help that situation. 
And sometimes our lives can look a lot like that. But God sees something very different than what Ezekiel sees. You see, his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And his perspective and his vantage point, he dwells outside of time and he's in eternity. He sees the end from the beginning. So he, he looks very differently at the situation. And that's true in Ezekiel 37. It's also true in our lives. There may be times when you are or maybe times when you will be tempted to think that hope is lost. <laughs> that potential is vanished. That there's no changing the situation in which you find yourself. Perhaps you're tempted to think that God can't use you. Too many problems, too many issues, too many hang-ups, too many failures, too many mistakes, not enough skills, not enough personality, not enough intelligence, too much water under the bridge. You're, you're down in the valley and you don't know how you're going to get out of that valley. Life just seems dry. Maybe you made a decision. At a youth rally. Maybe you made a decision at a Bible conference. Maybe you made a decision at a, a missions camp. But that's about all you did. Made a decision at a meeting. And it never really went any farther than that. It never really produced anything in your life. The, the excitement of the moment is gone. And the thrill of the decision is gone. And the buzz of the meeting is gone. And your zeal has waned. And your enthusiasm has diminished. And your life has fallen into some dry rut. It's kind of like a valley of, of dry bones. Maybe that has been the case. Maybe that is the case. Very likely at some point that is going to be the case. And understand this morning that this whole depiction of a valley of dry bones, I would say this is what the world expects of Christian young people. You are not expected to have spiritual energy. You are not expected to have spiritual life. You are not expected to have spiritual strength. You are not expected to bear spiritual fruit. And you're, the world expects that. The flesh is willing to accept that. And the devil will cause you to think that's the only possibility. But I want to show you the contrast in Psalm 1. Turn with me because God has a very different set of expectations. Psalm 1 is really the polar opposite of the valley of dry bones. This passage paints a very different picture. Psalm 1 verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. You see this tree? This tree that has deep roots, this tree that is well-nourished, this tree that is strong, this tree that is fruitful, this is, this is what God can and will make our lives. Verse number 1 points to uh, this, the, 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 this, this man who is blessed by God. He's separated in verse 1. 
You can jot that down on your outline. In verse number one, he's separated. He walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. He standeth not in the way of sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. He's, he's separated. In verse number two, he's saturated with the word of God. His delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law doth he meditate day and night. In verse number three, he's strong. He's like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Those roots are deep. Those, the, 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 those roots have a firm attachment uh, and, 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 and plenty of, of nourishment. And th- this tree is strong and this tree is fruitful. He bringeth forth his fruit in his season. This tree is healthy. The leaf doesn't wither. This tree is successful. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. God wants to give you the kind of life where the spiritual success just spills over into other areas of your life. If you live by the Bible, it will work in every aspect of life, professionally, spiritually, relationally, family life, and and financial life. And every part of your life will be better by focusing on the Word of God. Verse number four the ungodly are not so. The ungodly are not so. Can I ask you a question this morning? Is, is your life a verse one through three life or is your life a not so? Valley of dry bones or tree planted by the rivers of water? I'm not sure if we'll be able to finish this this morning, uh, but what I'm interested in, back to Ezekiel 37, are the factors that made the difference and brought the valley of dry bones from that condition into the standing army, the, the life and the strength and the effectiveness and the availability to the Lord. That, that, that's what we want our lives to be individually. That's what we want our youth group to be collectively we don't want to be dead we don't want to be dry we we want the lord to be able to use us for his honor and for his glory we want our lives to be blessed by him and so what can we do to make that happen what changed the situation in ezekiel 37 and the points are simple and the points are straightforward point number one is the word of god what makes the difference? God brought Ezekiel to this valley of dry bones in verse number one. He surveys the situation in verse number two. He asks the question that Ezekiel so uh, so wisely answers in verse number three. Look at the instructions in verse four again. He said to me, prophesy upon these bones and say to them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. The message is given in verses five, six, and uh, five and six. What what God will do when He preaches? So verse seven. So I prophesied as I was commanded. Now again, put yourself in Ezekiel's shoes this morning. God brings him to this valley of dry bones, and God says, Ezekiel, here's what I want you to do. I want you to preach to them. I want you to speak. To the dry bones. I I want you to pretend the skeletons 
are your congregation. E- Ezekiel had to, had to stop and think about that for a second. There, there was probably some pause. Lord, you want me to do what? Bones can't hear me. Bones aren't responding to preaching. God, I'll, I'll do what you tell me to do, but I'll have a lot of confidence. This is going to make any kind of difference. You want me to preach to a bunch of bones? That, that doesn't seem like an effective solution. This is exactly what God wanted. And the preaching of God's word has supernatural power. The wisdom of God is foolishness with men. 1 Corinthians 1, the reference there in your outline, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. It pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Look, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but what brought us to a new birth, what brought us to a place of salvation, what brought us to faith in Jesus Christ, the preaching of the gospel, which is the power of God to salvation. The reason you got saved is because there was an Ezekiel who was willing to preach to what amounted to nothing more than a valley full of dry bones. The preaching of God's word, it brings life. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says the word of God is quick. That means it's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Listen, it's, it's living and it's life-giving. That's why God told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. The instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Now, uh, what God told Ezekiel to do is what God has told us to do. Uh, save to lost, preach the gospel, uh, minister to congregation, preach the word of God. And you understand that our approach to life, our approach to Christianity, it is very counter-cultural. The world does not think that you can reach young people and make a difference in their lives by preaching to them. What we're supposed to do is entertain you. What we're supposed to do is try to be cool so that you'll like us. What we're supposed to do is try to appeal to the largest audience possible. What we're supposed to do is forget about standards and convictions. What we're supposed to do is maybe just sneak a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of Bible in when you're least suspecting it. But what the Bible says actually works is if we'll stand up and declare, thus saith the Lord. And by the grace of God, our youth ministry, look, we're going to have fun. We're going to have fellowship. We're going to enjoy a good time together. I plan to continue that. But our focus is going to be heavily on Bible preaching because it is what will make a difference in your life. It's going to it's going to be what will put you in a place where God can use you and God can bless you. When we get together more often than not, 
We're going to open the Bible. A lot of times when we get together, it's going to be for the purpose of going to hear somebody open the Bible and preach God's word because it's what changed the valley full of dry bones into a standing army. It's what we need. It's what will make the difference. What kind of preaching did God want Ezekiel to do here in Ezekiel 37? A, it was direct. In verse number 4, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones. Ezekiel was not to sugarcoat the situation. Uh, God wanted Ezekiel to tell it exactly like it was. He, He didn't have to be rude, he didn't have to be crude, he didn't have to be harsh or caustic. But the kind of preaching that is actually helpful is the kind of preaching that is direct. The kind of preaching that will make a difference in your life is not necessarily the kind of preaching that everybody wants to hear. Hard preaching is what we need. Hard preaching will make a difference. Preaching that is plain. Preaching that is clear. Preaching that is unapologetic. Preaching that puts us in our place and tells us exactly what we are. That's the kind of preaching that will make a difference. Oh, ye dry bones. Uh, Ezekiel did not have a positive message. Ezekiel did not have an uplifting message. Ezekiel did not have a motivating, inspirational message. He had a realistic message that he was supposed to declare. And that's what he did, and it made a difference. The preaching is be biblical. It's biblical preaching. Prophesy upon these bones, verse number 4, saying to them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Verse 5, thus saith the Lord God. Ezekiel is supposed to simply declare the words that God had given him to declare. The kind of preaching you need to look for, the kind of preaching you need to listen to, the kind of preaching you need to respond to is the preaching that comes from God's word and is highly biblical. C, we got to go quickly. Practical. This preaching was practical. It's inter- it, it, was, it was thorough. God laid out the steps in verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. This, her- this is how it's going to work. I will lay sinews upon you, bring up flesh upon you, cover your skin, put breath in you, and ye shall live. It was step by step. It was line upon line. It was precept upon precept it was what god wants us to do how god wants us to do it why this is the case you don't just need to know what you're supposed to do you need to know what the bible says and why we have the beliefs we do and why we have the standards and convictions we do and why we do what we do based on the word of god it was practical it was thorough and then d it was christ exalting it's Christ exalting. The end of verse number six, ye shall know that I am the Lord. So the first ingredient, the first, the first contributing factor is the preaching of the word of God. But the second point is the response. There's a response. In verse number seven of Ezekiel 37, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking. Something, something happened. Imagine the scene. Try to be Ezekiel once again. Uh, God, you want me to do what? I want you to preach. Okay, I'll preach. As he preaches to a valley of dry bones, the bones begin to move. The bones begin to creak. The bones begin to shake. There, there is a visual response. There is an there is. 
there's an audible response. He sees something happen. He, he hears something happen. The bones don't just sit there. But too often times when we hear the preaching of the Word of God, we just sit there. There's no response. There's no movement. There's, there's, there, there's nothing. We're, we're, we're only taking it in. The same chapter, I, I point this out often, but the same chapter that says the Word of God is quick and powerful, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, also says that the Word preached did not profit them. It, listen, we hear a lot of preaching, but it's possible to hear a lot of preaching and not be affected by it, not be changed by it, not be benefited by it. We just had our Bible conference, right? In Bible conference, a blessing. Man, I enjoyed the testimonies last Sunday evening of the messages that God used and what he did in your heart and the help that many of you received from the Bible conference. There's something special about a meeting like that because there's this anticipation, there's a lot of excitement, and there's a lot of prayer, and there's there all of that leads to an expectation that God is going to do something in our hearts and God is going to do something in our lives through this meeting. You know what I'm talking about? Could we not have more of that on a regular basis? You know what I mean? <laughs> Every time we come to church, the Bible is going to be opened. And every time we assemble together and the Bible is open, God has something for you to meet a need in your life and address a situation in your life and to give you some help in your life. But how often do we carry that same attitude of anticipation and expectation to a normal church service that we do to a Bible conference or to a youth rally? Do you know the reason those services, those messages are, are, are often such a blessing? Yes, it's the preaching. Yes, it's the singing. But it's also the attitude that we carry to it. We are prepared to respond. We are expecting God to move. And James chapter 1 verse 21 says we need to receive the word of God in a spirit of meekness. And that is defined by the verses that follow. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Don't look in the mirror and leave the same way that you came. We've got to learn to respond to preaching. Listen for what God has for you in the message. Pay attention and focus and minimize distractions. And if God touches your heart, respond to Him and pray to Him and go to an altar and make a decision. You've got to learn to respond to preaching. What else brought this valley of dry bones into a standing army in the passage verse number seven so i prophesied as i was commanded as i prophesied there's a noise behold a shaking and the bones came together the bones came together bone to his bone because even if one solitary bone even if the muscle was attached and even if the flesh uh, was attached, and even the skin was attached. One bone with human parts attached to it, all by itself, 
It's still really freaky. And not going to accomplish anything. And <coughs> not very useful. Until those bones begin to join to one another, you don't have a human body. You have a freak show. Right? You've got a horror film. Somebody should make a movie of this vision. It would be pretty scary. But when the bones join together, that's a different situation. And what is the church? It is the body of Christ. And when do we become effective? And when do we become useful to the Lord? It is only as we are joined to one another. Point number three is unity. And we talked about it in Colossians 3 um, not long ago, how the unity of God's people is so important. And the only way to have that unity is for us to be Christ-focused and others-focused. Because when we're self-focused, it's easy to get offended. When we're self-focused, somebody will say something or not say something, and we'll get offended. When we're self-focused, then jealousy can creep in and envy can creep in and small things become big things and ruin relationships and friendships. And that's why Galatians 5.15 warns and God wouldn't put it in the Bible if it weren't a real possibility. He says you need to take heed that ye be not consumed one another, that you, you, you can't bite and devour one another and the devil will use anything the devil will use anything to keep God's people from enjoying this unity uh, and and this strength that comes from unity the preaching of the word of God the response to the word of God the unity that's seen when these bones come together one to another there's a growth that takes place in verse 8 in verse number 9 the final ingredients the spirit of god he said unto me prophesy unto the wind prophesy son of man say to the wind thus saith the lord god come from the four winds O breath breathe upon these slain they may live so prophesied he commanded me the breath came into them they lived stood upon their feet exceeding great army this wind this breath it is symbolic of God's spirit. The wind bloweth where it listeth. John 3, 8. So is everyone that is born of the spirit. Turn to one place. Zechariah 9 and verse number 6. Zechariah 9 and verse 6. That doesn't sound right. I think it's actually Zechariah 4 and verse 6. It is. Zechariah 4. That's three typos on the bulletin for anybody who's counting. Zechariah 4 and verse number 6. The Bible says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord, and Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. We are completely dependent upon the power of the Spirit of God, and we know that intellectually, and we believe that doctrinally. I'm not sure we embrace that practically. You know what I mean? Like all of us would admit, I need God's Spirit in my life. 
But does that translate into any action on a regular, consistent basis? Do we seek for the power of God's Spirit? Do we at the very least acknowledge our dependence on God's Spirit in prayer? Do we pursue the fullness of the Spirit of God? We we are willing and ready to say that we need the Lord, but do we act like we need the Lord? Because to act like we need the Lord would be at the very least to verbalize that fact in prayer on a regular consistent basis, asking God and begging God and pleading with God for the help that we are ready to admit that we need. Ephesians 5.18 says, uh, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Listen, All of us, if we are saved, if you are saved, you have the Spirit of God. The question is not whether or not you have the Spirit. The question is whether or not the Spirit has you. Are you under the guidance and control and influence of the Holy Spirit? Because the fact of the matter is the Spirit in you can be grieved, Ephesians 4.30. The Spirit in you can be quenched. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in order for our life not to be a valley of dry bones, in order for our youth group not to be a valley of dry bones, the Spirit of God is going to have to get involved. But we're going to have to allow that to happen. We're going to have to seek for His help. We're going to have to acknowledge our dependence. We're going to have to ask for His power and for His strength. So, Uh, This vision is given Ezekiel. There's very clear teaching, but hopefully there's a helpful application. God wants our lives to be like that tree in Psalm 1. What makes the difference is his word, our response to it, our unity one with another, our relationship to his spirit. And so let's try to keep our, our hearts focused that direction. Father, thank you for your word this morning, the attention that's been paid to it. God, pray that you help us with these truths and uh, give us life and strength and uh, fruitfulness and effectiveness in your spirit individually, corporately. Uh, God, we ask for your blessing. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.